Hi, I'm Mary Cross and welcome to the Building Bliss podcast. I set up Building Bliss four years ago after embarking on my own healing and wellness journey. And in that time, I've consumed a lot of wellness content, some good, some bad, whether that be books, online videos or podcasts. And I really have found a lot of benefit from listening to the stories of others on the podcast that I've listened to. But most of them focus on celebrities and well-known individuals. But I think there's a lot to be learned from our peers and the people around us. So the idea behind the Building Bliss podcast is to give a voice to real people, hear their stories and see what we can learn from them. The Building Bliss podcast is centred on the five pillars of bliss, which are bravery, laughter, inspiration, spark and success. Because it became clear to me through my own journey, that those central pillars run through everything we do in life. Each week, I'll be interviewing a different guest who tells me about their own story of overcoming adversity and how those five pillars have got them through life and allowed them to thrive. I've been absolutely blown away by their stories, all of which are unique and all of which I've learned something from. And I really believe that everybody who listens will be able to gain some inspiration, some comfort, and also have a laugh at some of the things that we talk about. So I'm looking forward to releasing these weekly, and I really hope that you'll tune in and get as much benefit from them as I have just by interviewing them. So welcome to the Building Bliss podcast, the inaugural episode, which is a very exciting day for me because I've been uh, thinking about this for so long. It's actually nice to be finally getting to do it. And it's even better that I've got one of my best friends as my first guest. It's Maddie Templeman, who is an author and also a bid writer and business consultant by day. But probably her true passion lies with her writing and and authorship and musician. And um, I wanted to interview Maddie because she's had such an interesting life. And probably, I don't think, well, I've certainly never met anyone else who's had a life like Maddie's, certainly her early life. And that's what she's written a memoir about, which is about being brought up uh, in an alternative Christian lifestyle. So that's something that we can come on to as we get into the uh, meat of the podcast. So hi, Maddie, welcome. Hi, nice to be here, Mary. Very, very excited to be part of the first podcast. Woohoo! Ooh, yes, it's going to be good. Now, I should say that the uh, the setup for Building Bliss podcast is based on the pillars of bliss. So I'm just going to run through those as it's the first episode. So the first one is bravery, B for bravery, L for laughter, I for inspiration, S for spark and S for success, making up bliss because I do love an acronym. So we're going to work through some of those and and just find out how all those aspects have impacted on your life. So is is there anything you want to say before we start? Any, Any introduction you want to give yourself after that build up? No, I think I think we just dive in and see see what comes out. Great, great. So, in terms of bravery, I'd like to ask you: Is there a moment that stands out in your life as your bravest? Yes, definitely. As Mary mentioned, I had a very unusual upbringing with an alternative Christian lifestyle. If you imagine the television programs where there's Americans who have got their hands in the air and people are falling over and they're speaking in funny languages and they're talking about angels and demons. I was brought up in a church like that in Liverpool, which is very unusual. And lots of people are quite shocked that they exist, but there's quite a lot of them out there. 
and I was very much indoctrinated into this cult and I will use that C word. Um, it affected every part of our lives, what we spent our money on, who we could hang around with, who you could marry, um, the job that you did, literally everything you did, they had a say and they had an impact. And the story, I'm not giving too many spoilers here, but the story that I'm writing in my memoir is of this very brave moment when I left all that behind. Um, I won't tell you why I left it all behind, that's in the book. But it was a huge thing. I'm very brave because my whole friendship group was in the church. Everything I knew was in the church. I was in my 30s, so I'd been living this lifestyle for a very, very, very long time. So to actually leave that and to turn my back on it was quite a huge thing, but also one of, the, I think, the best thing I've ever done in my life, but very much the scariest yeah. and bravest, because I think they're hand in hand. Yeah. And I suppose, did you know how big a thing it was you were doing in the moment of it? Yes, I agonised for weeks and months because I knew I didn't want to go anymore. I knew there had to be a parting of the ways, but I knew not only would I lose my friendship group, I knew it would impact my parents because they still went and they were still very involved. So I knew it was... It was, a, it was going to change my life forever. But I also knew I didn't want to stay because my whole life I'd been thinking, I don't really believe this, but I've been told I should, so I, I do. And I went along with it and against my um, better judgment, stayed in the church. So although it was all I'd ever known, I had seen glimpses into the normal life and thought, oh, I quite like the look of that, thank you very much. But the actual step of you know jumping out was huge it was huge but yeah mary knows me very well there was a lot of there were a lot of lists that went on with pros and cons obviously um but yeah i think i know i made the right choice i don't think i know i made the right choice yeah i think it, it sounds like you reach a tipping point it sounds very similar to almost coming out in a way yes, because definitely. you know that it gets to a point where you can't you can't live that way anymore but yes. you know potentially what a huge impact it's going to have on you and everyone else around you but you, you can't not do it yes that's how it felt it felt like I was going to explode yeah um, and interestingly I know there's a lot of connection between mind and body at that time I had all sorts of stomach problems um, which ended up with me having a hiatus hernia and I'm like it's called stress and anxiety because I knew I had to make this really big decision but my whole life I'd been living a double life. I'd been following the Christian way I'd been taught, but in my head I was thinking, I don't agree with this. Or, oh, hang on a minute, there's a different way of doing that that could be better and you won't even think about it. So I lived like a double life. So I, I think it is very similar to coming out and I felt like I couldn't be myself. And um, now I'm me and it's amazing. That's, that's like the result. 15 or so years on, um, of being brave, it means I can now be myself. And, but that's scary because for 30 something years I wasn't. Yeah. I was, I was someone else. It's a tremendous pressure to live under, isn't it? When Definitely. You're, you're keeping up that facade. I know from reading, I'm lucky enough to have been a beta <gasps> reader for Maddie's book. So I'll try not to give too much away, but I know that even at school, 
you know, once you started going to a mainstream school, there was differences even there. So even to have that at such a young age, eight, nine, it, it's awful to actually have to live under that pressure from such an early age. Oh, definitely. So I was, I was five my first day of school and I prayed out loud at lunchtime and said thank you to God for my dinner. And everybody laughed and I thought, oh, you can't do this. Went home, told my mum and dad. My dad said, you'll have to pray in your head from now on. So I was like, okay. Mum said, no, keep doing it out loud because then you're preaching the gospel. And I prayed in my head. But at that point, I'm like five, however old you were when you go to school, five. And I thought, oh, I have to be a different way at home and in church than I am at school. That's quite a huge thing to, to have to do and to live this double life, mm -hmm. secret agent. So, yeah. It has, wow. and it has, it has an impact on mental health as well as physical health. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very yeah. brave but very necessary. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think we're both recovering people pleasers, aren't we? Yes. And I think we know that stems from uh, both our pasts and upbringings. Definitely. Yeah. So that was a big moment. Mm -hmm. And do you think that that moment then made you braver for the rest of your life? And have you got braver as you've got older? Do you think? Yes, definitely. Um, I'd thought Mary kindly sent me the questions in advance and I'd had to think about it yesterday. And definitely in myself, I've got braver and braver. If I look back, I, I couldn't have started my own business, which I have now. I couldn't have written a book. I couldn't have done talks in front of people. There's lots of things I do now that I'd have been far too scared to do and just wouldn't even have dreamt of. But I was thinking, as I've got older, I've got more nervous about other things, like physical things. So I now would not try going skiing because I'm now very aware of my human frailty. I don't have great balance um, and I think I'd probably end up falling over and breaking something. Whereas I think if I was younger and I tried it, I probably would have been fine. But I've become more risk averse in a really strange way. Physically, I've become more risk averse because I know I'm getting creaky. But mentally, I feel like I'm getting braver and braver, and I scare myself in a good way on quite a regular basis. Yeah, well, that was great. I think that was, that's something that I think is a big part, is pushing outside your comfort zone. Yes. Because that's, um, that's where the magic happens. I saw a great quote the other day that said, if you want the things in your life to change, you need to change the things in your life. Oh. And I think, I, I know, I think there's something like, we have something like 90,000 thoughts a day and 95% of them are exactly the same as the day before or the wow. last 30 years. So if you look at it from that perspective, it's difficult to do anything different if you don't push yourself outside that comfort zone. And it doesn't have to be a big step. We're not yeah. talking skydiving. Yeah. It might be going sitting in a coffee shop on your own and having a coffee, which to some people is a terrifying thought, isn't it? If yeah. they're nervous about being alone. So uh, yeah, it's everybody's got their own comfort zone that they're pushing beyond sometimes, aren't they? Definitely, and it always surprises me. People say to me that I'm brave, and it'll be things like, last week I stayed overnight, because um, I was at a client's two days on the run, stayed overnight to avoid the traffic. So I went out for a meal on my own, sat reading my Kindle, had a few drinks, went back, had a bubble bath, absolutely loved it. The client were going, are you okay on your own? We're really worried about you, you're so brave. And I was like, no, it's really nice. I can sleep like a starfish, because there's no one else in the bed. <laughs> And I haven't had to sit in traffic and I was really chilled and I got to read my book without being interrupted. It was amazing. Yeah. And I had a really nice time. But I didn't feel brave doing it. It just 
it was convenient but it surprised because to other people that was a really brave thing so as you say there's very much a scale of what's brave for some people isn't but there's lots of things that other people do that are really brave like mary does stand up oh my word <laughs> no that is close to skydiving no. i have that, to say. yeah i think that is <laughs> that is skydiving but keeping your feet on the ground ish so yeah, there's I think the scales of bravery and uh, yeah, I'm happy in my own comfort. My, I explode out of my comfort zone, but there's some places I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always think with uh, with stand up and sky, like skydiving, uh, right up until the moment that I step on the stage, I'll make up all sorts of excuses and reasons why I shouldn't be doing it, and oh, maybe they'll cancel it, and then, then I won't have to go. But then once I'm on stage, it's fine. But in that moment, I, and that's why I liken it to skydiving. At the, there's probably people sat in the plane going, I can't jump, I can't jump, and then they do, and then they're like, wee, and it's brilliant. Yes, so, yeah, but every time, and I've noticed, obviously, observing lots of other comedians at gigs, I can always see there's just this moment of like, why the hell am I doing this as a living, just before they step on stage, and then they're like, ah, right, now I'm here. So, yeah, that's awesome. It's good. I love that. So, looking forward, because obviously you've got your book coming out. Mm hmm. You're gonna have to be brave going forward. How do you how do you see that panning out now once you release your book and start to promote it? Yeah, definitely. Because I wrote the book and writing the book was very cathartic and healing and amazing. And as Mary said, I've had some very close friends who've beta read it and given me some feedback. But the world out there haven't read it, and there's lots of stuff in that book um, that's very much my innermost thoughts. And things that have happened to me that people, as general, don't know. And every time I think about it actually being published, I feel terrified. Because mm. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I've written it and, it's re it's, and I'm really pleased with it. And I'm like, oh my word, people are going to read it and know about my past. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. And it's very, it feels very exposing. But I know, because I've done other brave things, that this is a, it's, it is a big step. But I know I'm strong enough because I've done the other brave things, I've proved to myself I can do brave. So I know I'll be okay. But yeah, it's, uh, there is still a, hmm, what am yeah. I doing? It Definitely. Is, it's, it's very daunting. It's that other people's reaction, isn't it? Yes. To it. And, but that's something you can't control. But Exactly. And I'm a very different person now. And I think that's one of the big things. Um, I'm a very different person now than I was then. And if you know me now, and read some of those things, I think you might be shocked because my beliefs, to be honest, were always very different from what I was taught anyway. But I had to behave in a certain way and all these things. And I think that's the thing that scares me the most, that someone will read something and think I'm still like that. And I'm like, no, you have to look at me now. This is the new, you know, the butterflies come well out of the chrysalis flying for England. Um, this is the new me, this is the real me. Yeah. This this is the me that's always been squished underneath um, and can finally be released and be out there. So, Yeah, that's what I must say, because obviously I've read it and I remember, I read it in stages and I remember messaging you going, I'm so emotional. Yeah. And then I said I was angry and I remember you saying, oh, I'm sorry I've made you angry. And I was like, no, that's a good thing because you're evoking all these emotions. Yeah. And I think... I think people will really respond to it and your story is very unique but the actual basis of it will actually relate to a lot of people I think yes so, and it, lots of people are in situations that they don't like or they're fighting their instincts so I think they'll all find comfort in the fact that eventually you found your way and it is mm. possible to heal 
definitely from something like that definitely and to escape from control because it was a controlling church but obviously lots of people in controlling relationships controlling workplaces so many different forms of that and that's that's my hope that people read it and think actually if she can do it that means anyone can because it's not it, it is brave and it is scary but it's worth it yeah what a great message to get out there thank you so moving on to laughter we'll, we'll, we'll lighten the mood a bit after yes. that <laughs> so because obviously to me laughter is very important and i found myself how cathartic laughter is mm. um I never really realised it until I started doing the process of writing my stand-up and starting to write my one-woman show. So, how important is laughter to you in getting through your tough times? It's so important. It's, it keeps me sane. It stops me from going to a dark place. Um, I recently have had a health issue that's, that's twitching in my face. It's all fine. It's nothing serious. I've had loads and loads of tests and I just have this strange spasm. One in, one in 4,000 people in the UK, and I'm one of them, so I'm very special, thank you very much. <laughs> but in the midst of that, when I was like, oh my goodness, what's wrong? It could be something awful. My husband sent me a video of his face, because my face twitches when it happens. My husband sent me a video of him pretending to do a twitch and doing a really exaggerated one, and it cracked me up. And every time I got worried about it, I watched that video and thought, do you know what, it's fine. Because laughter just somehow takes you from catastrophizing and from thinking that the worst is going to happen and it just lightens and it just, it soothes you and I think it brings your focus back into real life rather than into darkness. So I'm finding more and more, I'm going to more comedy gigs than music gigs and as you said I'm a musician, I love music but there's something about going and laughing until you cry that's so healing. Um, I've had one recently and I laughed until I cried and then I laughed again and I'm just like, oh my word. I came out of it like I'd been in, in like this huge therapy session mm. and I'd been to a comedy again. It was just really, really funny. Um, and I find it so healing. And again, I listen to podcasts and listen to audio books that are funny because it just keeps you at that level where you don't take yourself too seriously. I have a habit as a recovering people pleaser <laughs> and a perfectionist of taking myself way too seriously and it just brings me back to earth and, and it's like, everything's fine. Um, and it does, it just, I find laughter really grounds me. Yeah. I think that's how I'd put it. That's great. So, was there much laughter at home when you were younger? Or I get the impression it might have been a serious household. Most of the time it was serious, but my dad was a clown. So he'd do silly things. Um, so, for example, most people wouldn't have this at home. Uh, he'd decide to see what happens if he shoved a bead up his nose. He had quite a big nose. Now, normally that's what little kids do. My dad was in his 40s, I would have thought at the time. And it got shoved up and he was trying to get it out and obviously the more you try and get it out it swells and he was doing it was a green bead he was pretending it was a bogey ha 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 very funny and it was funny because we were little but then it got stuck so he tried to get out of the poetry my mum was out by the way my mum was quite serious he got stuck up his nose and the more he tried to get it out the more it swelled long story short we had to go to A&E and he said to me can you pretend it was you because I can't say it was me 
So I did. So sorry, A and E, I lied. It was me. It was Dad, not me. So we had things like that. Um, he'd also act like a big kid, so we'd climb trees, and so he was a big kid. But yeah, we had Mum was kind of the serious, more religious, godly one. Mm. But we did laugh a lot. Yeah, mainly at Dad, I think. Yeah, I think he wanted us to laugh with him, but I think a lot of it was at because, as I say, he was a clown. Um, he built himself a taser. You know, you you'd, so you zap someone and basically they get electric current through their body. Don't try that. Don't try this people. at home. Because my dad tried it on himself. And my mum walked into the garage and he was flat out on the floor. Thankfully he was fine. But that was quite a normal, if that's the right word, occurrence in our house. That he'd do something completely off the wall. And we'd all laugh about it. But now as an adult I'm like, actually it's quite traumatic. <laughs> yeah. and, and full on. So, yeah. yeah. So would you say you, you inherited his sense of humour? Yes, yeah. but more risk-averse. I think that's yeah. why I'm so risk-averse. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably because you were sort of in risk management. It's some yes. elements of it, aren't they? So in health and safety, so... Yeah. Like, you walk in somewhere and go, that's not safe, that's not... <laughs> exactly. And yeah. that was, yeah, living with Dad was just not... But he was lovely. He was, he was such a... He was very silly as well. So he'd do stuff like you'd walk in a room and... He'd pretend to be asleep or dead, which isn't actually funny. And then jump up and scream at you, so you jump. So, yeah, he yeah. did. I think I think it's why I kind of suffer with anxiety. Yeah, as well. we'll, we'll add that to the therapy. Like, exactly. So, yeah. For, exactly. For the trauma bombs. <laughs> so, so who or what makes you laugh the most? Have you got any favourite comedians or styles of comedy? Yes, I love. I kind of have my two extremes. I love clever humour. And I love when people do wordplay and I love stories. So like the Sarah Millican, she's one of my favourites. She tells a story and then by the end of the gig, it's all looped in together. I love stuff like that. But I also love her husband, Gary Delaney, who does one-liners in their puns. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't breathe because in between you're laughing your head off. But I'm also a massive fan of slapstick, of very physical humour. Um, and a combination of all of those, I'm like, wow. Um, but I also, and my husband said, don't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I find myself really funny. Um, not necessarily when I mean to be funny. It generally is when I don't mean to be funny. So it's definitely a menopause thing. I struggle to find the right word a lot of the time. Right. So far, so good today. Um, so I was, for some reason, I was doing a training course, and I was trying to think of the word convertible, as in a car. And I couldn't remember, so I called it a lifty-top car. <laughs> And I have this whole um, vocabulary where I've invented words or just used the wrong one. Um, and that makes me laugh and I think it's really funny. But I didn't think anyone else would. Um, but it makes me laugh. And again, it stopped me but it taking myself too seriously. Yeah. Recovering people pleaser and perfectionist. I have a habit of taking myself way too seriously. So being able to laugh at myself when I do silly things or when I get in a tears, or when I'm getting anxious about something and I don't need to. Now, laughing at myself, again, brings me out of a potential dark place. So it is a good thing. But my favourite comedians, definitely Sarah Millican. I love Dave Gorman, Joe Lysett, Mary Cross, <laughs> Russell Kane. I didn't pay her to say that. She didn't pay me, but I had to say it. No, but I love your humour because it very much... We've had quite similar mums, or we have quite similar mums, and a lot of that... I, 
it's so relatable. I like relatable humour. Yeah. So a lot of the Femme de la Femme events where it's female comics, you're just, it's like they're talking what's in your head. I love that. I yeah. love that. It's so relatable. And it's stuff that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, but they make it funny. And again, that takes the power out of bad things because it, it brings them into the light and, and puts them in perspective again. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's our. We have a, an equation uh, in comedy that says tragedy plus time equals comedy. Oh, yeah. So obviously, you don't want to be joking about things that are too raw too soon. But once you do get a bit of perspective on them, and you can sort of poke fun at them, and I think, like you say, that's the that's the joy of comedy when you can sit there and go, Oh my God, somebody else does that. Somebody else thinks that. I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. And that, that, and then when you see everybody else laughing, you think, well, everybody in this room yes. must feel that way as well. So definitely, it's definitely a very, as you say, healing experience mm. too. And I think it's really nice. I think it must be really difficult. Obviously, I didn't start doing comedy till after the pandemic had ended. Mm. And I know it, it was hard for a lot of the comedians doing Zoom gigs that to not get that feedback from yes, the audience and yeah. I think I think you can tell because I watch a lot of comedy at home and I'll laugh but I never laugh as much as when I'm actually sat in a group of other people yeah there's something about a shared energy like a vibration definitely that you pick up on and that's another reason why it's so good for you definitely so I was reading actually that when you laugh it releases dopamine endorphins and oxytocin wow so your endorphins are like you've just been for a run Dopamine, obviously, your dopamine hit, and then oxytocin's like the love drug as well. So, it's it's just it's scientifically proven wow. to be good for you. So I love that. I love that. But yeah, there's so many gigs I've been to, and you'll laugh at something, and then you'll catch someone's eye, and you'll crack up, or you hear a funny laugh. Loads of people have really funny laughs, and that sets me off. And you'd you'd lose all of that with Zoom. Yeah, you wouldn't have. But there is something about shared experiences anyway good bad indifferent mm. but funny ones and the other thing i find funny at comedy gigs um and there was an all-female one that i've been to recently and women who don't laugh at some of the gigs at some of the things people say and you think oh does that mean it hasn't happened to them or they think they've gone too far or they don't find and i always find that quite intriguing and i'm like oh are they are they just you know, they're not in the right place to hear someone talking about something that they think's private or personal or so I find that quite fascinating. Yeah, it is. I went to a gig um with some I won't say who the who it was. It was a, a, a TV comedian and one of my friends was actually supporting them and there's a couple in the front row and they didn't crack a smile for the <gasps> whole gig and I thought, Well you've paid to come and see this specific person yeah. so this isn't just like a general gig, there's ten yes. people on. They'd paid money to come and see this person. They sat there and I'm like, I realise everybody laughs differently. Like my, my wife doesn't laugh out loud. She'll, she laughs, but no right. sound comes out. So she says, I'm a rubbish audience. Oh. <laughs> take 20 of your gigs. But so I realised that, but I thought, it's weird to pay money to just come and sit. like And disapprove. And disapprove. And I don't know, sometimes I think people see TV comedians on TV. Yes. And then when you see them live, it can be quite shocking. So I think, did, were you saying at the Joe Lysett gig, there was a lot of like oh, six-year-old women who'd obviously seen him on the sewing bee. And they were quite shocked. He came out in a pair of floral pyjamas <laughs> and was calling himself mummy. He, he's the most glorious creature in the world. I love him. But you could hear intakes of breath 
we nearly all fainted from lack of oxygen. It was like, <laughs> I was like, who brought my mum to this gig? It was quite shocking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was really funny. And, and people went at half time. Oh my God. And I'm like, if you're that offended, go. Yeah. Um, which is okay. But yeah. And he was like, but he, he realised, because he could, he could see like some of the people, and they were at the front as well, bless them. Because we were quite close to the front. And he went, oh, I'm really sorry to all the people who've come because they've seen me on Sewing Bee. This is the real me. And you're like, oh, yeah. Which was amazing and we all loved. But, yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of a shock. It's a, it's a fine line, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> Very funny for us, though, I must admit. Yeah. I do quite like watching people who are slightly uncomfortable. Definitely. And I think if you're ever at a comedy gig and you're near the front row and they see you looking uncomfortable, you're bound to get picked on. Exactly. <laughs> Just yeah. a word to the line. <laughs> Fake laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just smile. <laughs> now, have you got a favourite joke? I did I did pre warn you of this one. So have. I'm not gonna make you make you one make one up on the spot. Have and um, it's a really sad joke, but I love this joke. What do you call a fish with no eye? I don't know. <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> and it makes me laugh like this every single time. I like that. I like silly <laughs> jokes. And as you know, I do love a pun. My family are getting a bit weary of my puns. But, um, yeah. I love your puns. I love it. Okay, I'm going to move on to inspiration now. Excellent. So, as a writer, mm -hmm. obviously you need inspiration. And in life we need inspiration. Sometimes we just need inspiration to get out of bed in yes. the morning. So, who or what have been your biggest sources of inspiration? I'm going to go for writing first. Okay. When I was in school, I was probably doing my GCSEs, so I was probably 10, 11. We did um, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. And she managed, she had, for anyone who doesn't know, she was brought up in the American Deep South and it was African-American, kind of back end of the slave trade. It was, there was still a lot of racism going on. Um, and she wrote this incredibly personal, beautiful story with humour. And lots of terrible things have happened to her, but she wrote about it with humour and always saw um, the positive side. She went on and she's written, she's passed away now, unfortunately, but I did get to go and see her and I've met her and it was one of the best things. Again, I was probably like 14 or something at the time. That was one of the best things ever, got to go and meet her. And, but she wrote about tragic, awful things with humour or with honesty or both. Um, and I found that really powerful. So when I was starting to write my memoir, I reread her books again because I thought that's what I want. Um, I want to keep a good perspective. I don't just want to slag people off. I want to try and you know tell the story with a truthful voice. Um, also, not hide anything. Be very honest, but have moments of humour, and always bring out the positive because I wouldn't change anything that's happened to me because I wouldn't be this me if I'd not had all of the stuff I've had in the past. And I like this me. So I wanted to have the positive side of it. So she very much has been a massive influence. Um, and then personally, this is gonna sound funny, my parents have been a big influence. Sometimes making me want to be like them, lots of times making me not want to be like them. Mm. And they've kind of inspired me to be different and inspired me um, to treat people differently than they had or to treat myself differently than they had. So they both were very hard on themselves and very self-critical. 
guess what? I've picked that up and I'm learning with a lot of help and a lot of time and a lot of love and patience not to be like that with myself. So I've used them as a, I don't want to be like that. Reverse inspiration. But that sounds daft, but I thought I have to say that. But my dad definitely was inspirational because um, he loved hugely. He just, and he's never afraid to hug people. Um, he used to cry in front of people and then apologise because men don't cry, but obviously they do. But he was very open to his emotions and not afraid to show them. And that's that's something I very much want to be like because I'm not, well, you know, I cry at the drop of a hat, whether it's happy or sad. But I don't ever want to feel ashamed of that because it's part of who I am and I'm, that's just me. Um, and Dad very much, as I say, loved people, loved making people laugh. Um, and I, I think that's a good um, character trait to have and to, to bring through. And he can talk to anyone, and I'm like that. People talk to me on the bus, even on the London Tube. I talk to people. Wow, that's not on purpose. They talk to me. I, I don't initiate. And if I'm with other people, they're like, "Oh my word!" And I'm like, "No, I don't initiate. This just happens." But that's good. That's a, that's an, a gift. And uh, Dad inspired me to be like that. So yeah, I think that's about energy, isn't it? People pick yes. up on that energy. Um, yeah, because I lived in London for two years and used to studiously study the uh, the map on the tube rather yes. than not uh, make eye contact with anybody but yeah I did manage to get the entire carriage to sing gold uh, on a night out once when we were heading back from Leicester Square so put that down as one of my biggest achievements. I think that's amazing, that's awesome. <laughs> so are there any, any current inspirations who are sort of driving you forward on your journey as, as an author? And you're in a writing group, aren't you? Yeah, definitely the other people in the group. Um, so my writing group is only a small group. I think there's like 15, 20 of us. And we all encourage each other and all um, basically are accountable to each other is a big thing. But definitely my writing mentor, Jude Lennon, has been a huge inspiration. Um, she makes a living out of this. She writes books for kids. She also writes adult books. And... She goes into schools and does storytelling and teaches kids to write. She's amazing. And she's been with me since step one writing my book and being critical in the right way, as in not critical, just showing, you know, kind constructive. of constructive criticism. Yeah. She's amazing. But she has such a humility and gentleness about her. So when she, you take, she could basically say anything to you and you take it the right way because yeah. you can see her heart. She's amazing. She really is an inspiration. And um, she used to be a teacher, so she is good at teaching anyway. But how she teaches writing and how she teaches um, publishing, all of this independent publishing stuff is amazing. It's, she's, a, she's a proper inspiration. Yeah, I think it's funny because we've had quite parallel journeys mm. in the past few years in terms of, both finding our passion now yeah. and um but also finding our tribe and i yes. think finding your tribe when you're doing anything that's a bit daunting i think it's really important isn't it definitely definitely because i know um when you go and do comedy there's a group of you who go and you, you know the support act the support team and the writings like that and um, there's people who came to my book launch my first book and i know they'll be there for the second book and they just 
they keep you going when you're having days where you think, what on earth am I doing? I've lost the block. They're there and they've got your back and it's a huge thing. Really yeah, is. I think you really need, as, as a creative and perhaps people come into their passion later in life, the imposter syndrome yes. is really loud some yes. days, isn't it? Oh, and, you, and you're like, I'm not a writer, I'm not a comedian, what, what on earth am I doing this for? So you do need those people to sort of almost give you a slap around the chops and say, you are a writer, you are a comedian, you have a published book, you know, you've got your memoir ready to go, you just need someone who, and, but who understands sort of how, not painful, but how arduous that creative process can be sometimes, because not everybody gets that, I don't think, if they've not done it. No, because the number of people as I've been writing my book, like, is it done yet? Is it done yet? And I'm like, oh my word, this is like blood, sweat and passion. Yeah. You can't just write it. And like, it's not like writing a shopping list. Yeah, not just it's knocking like, out oh a dissertation. But yeah, it's quite funny. It's, it's, and because it's personal as well, it's took a long time because you're having to work through things and thinking, is that too much information to put in? Is that enough? And so, yeah, there's a lot to it. But as you say, having those people around you who've been there, done that, and are still going through it, it's a huge help, it really is. Yeah, it's a, well, from what I've read, it's obviously a very, you've been very vulnerable. Yes. And that's not easy. So uh, no. you've, got, you've got to tread carefully when you're doing something like that. Definitely. So with that in mind, obviously, how do you think you'll be able to inspire others with your story when you do get out on the road with it? Um, definitely to know there's always a different path. There's always, if you're in a place where you're not happy or you think there's another way, whether that's because of control or because you've never been or felt brave enough to, to step out of your comfort zone, my story is just to go, listen, you can, anything's possible. There is no limitation. Um, the only limitation is you, but if you want to do it, get the right people around you um, and you'll be fine, you'll, you know. There's, you'll always find a new tribe. When I left all my friends, I thought, this is it, I'm going to be friendless. I now have lots of different friends in lots of different tribes, actually. Mm. Um, and that's been very healing. It's been very healing to have different friends and different friends of different ages. One of my best friends is my niece, who's 11, who is one of the wisest people in the universe. Another one of my best friends is 78 and is my husband's auntie. And I've got lots of amazing friends in between. And... I, there's people I wouldn't have met or I wouldn't have known if I had stayed in the church. And I've met such an amazing bunch of people from leaving. So yeah, my, my hope is people think, people think, gosh, if she can do it, anyone can do it. And if she can learn to trust herself, then I can learn to trust myself. Yeah. So is the plan to take it out on the road and do, do a book tour with, with Q&A sessions so that people can... Ask you that, yeah, I'd love to. It's on the vision board. Yeah, I'd absolutely love that. I love. This is another time. I love talking about myself. <laughs> um, I love talking about that. That anyone can do it. It's not just you. Don't have to be a special person. I'm not saying that I'm not special. Obviously, all of us are in our own different ways. But sometimes people think just because you can do it doesn't mean doesn't mean they can do it. And I think there's something about doing it in person and meeting people in real life and realising that they are flawed and normal and they're not that scary. So I go to loads of author talks and you read their books and you're like, oh my word, they're amazing. And you meet them and they have imposter syndrome. 
And I remember going up to, I'm not going to say who it was, a very well-known author. I said, on my way, I love all your books. And she said, oh, do you really? And she cried because I said I loved her books. And I'm like, her books, by the way, are dramatised for television as well. She's huge. And we had like a proper moment as she signed one of my books. And I was like, oh, my word, if she can have that imposter syndrome and still be a best-selling author and still, you know, have television programmes and still have imposter syndrome and encourage me, I was like, I can do this. So that's my hope that I do the same with other people. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, that's the aim of this podcast really is to tell, I'm going to put in inverted commas, ordinary people's lives. What I mean is, um, I'm very conscious. There's, there's so much wellness content, particularly on Instagram. And, you know, it's people in LA living in the sunshine, no kids, you know, and it's very easy to be mindful and meditate and be creative when you haven't got all those extra pressures. So I always find a lot more uh, help and um, solace in real people's stories, people who've lived it. And because healing is a, it's a tough and it's a dirty process and it's not linear and you'll have good days and bad days. And if you've got those memories to call upon, so, you know, you're sat at your computer, you might have writer's block. I don't know if you get writer's block. Sometimes. Do you? What, what, have you got any techniques for getting out of it, or do you just come back to it when you feel... Technique is do something completely different. Go for a walk, come back, and write about something silly. We do free writing, so you write whatever's in your head. No one else can ever read it. It's not a good thing to read. But it just gets you. It's like getting it's like a warm-up before running yeah. it gets your brain moving and gets you writing and hand write that and then go back to my laptop and it does work yeah well that's good that's a good technique because i i was uh yeah i've heard about something called productive procrastination the other day okay so obviously there's procrastination where you're literally just like sorting out your sock drawer to yeah. avoid doing anything but actually say you go for a walk if you're stuck i did it the other day actually because i'm trying to write something and I went for a walk with the dog and it all kind of just downloaded naturally and then I could go back but I could have sat there for two hours, you know, frustrated. Yes. But I think, yeah, that is that change of atmosphere, even getting up and dancing. Yeah, to do something different, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And it does work. And it is, there's something about taking your mind off it. Because I find I get my, if I'm stuck on something, I get ideas when I'm asleep and I wake up, it's quite annoying. I wake up and... I'd scribble it down. I used to record it on voice notes, but I kept waking my husband's when he got quite freaked out because there's a whispering voice in the night in the dark. And apparently that's quite scary. Who knew? And what I find your subconscious process, so as you're saying with the walk, your brain's still processing what you've been trying to write. But because you're not focusing on it and you're focusing on something else, it clears away. Yeah. Space. I find the shower to be my most profound. Yeah. I, I need some sort of, I don't know if you can buy them, like a whiteboard for the shower. You can, you can get waterproof. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yes, because I was thinking of getting one. I'll send you the link. Yeah. <laughs> because I think it's something like, uh, it's almost like a free flow state, isn't that? Flow state that you can't, you can't really put yourself in it, I don't think, by choice. Mm-hmm. It just comes when it's ready, doesn't it? Uh, but there's something about the shower that... Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, can we write that down? Because I'm similar. I've got random notes everywhere. Obviously, I always carry a, a notebook with yeah. a comedy, but I've got in my notes in my phone. I've just got like, I looked at it yesterday. If chickens played the piano, why have I written that down? I don't know. 
there was obviously something funny in it at the time. <laughs> obviously, I'll have to learn panic. But uh, yeah, so I think if anyone went through our respective notes and voice notes on our phone, we, yeah, we might get carted off somewhere. Yeah, they'd be terrified. Yeah. Definitely. And internet searches. Oh, As a writer, oh dear. Oh right, oh, yeah. Did yeah. your your? Am I allowed to say what you're yeah. planning for your next book? Yeah. yeah. If you want to, I'm going to be writing a crime book for my next book, and I've started doing a bit of research, and I'm looking at um, researching ways of killing someone that aren't obvious, and they're like, oh dear. So yeah, and, and, the, and like ways to dispose of a body. Yeah, and like we've done all that. Yeah. that. It's terrible. Yeah. Different poisons, and all the books I'm buying from Amazon have got a pile of them. And it's like A to Z of poison. And you're like, oh my word. Yeah. You are definitely on a government watch list. Definitely. Somewhere, aren't you? It's not good. Forensics, I've got loads of forensics books because, again, it's um, knowing what shows up in forensic testing. Wow. So you really, you really have to get into the detail of oh, that yeah. then for it to be believable, I guess. Yes. Yeah. The cunning plan is that it feels believable. Yeah. So, yeah. But no, internet search history and Amazon shopping history slash other bookshops. Um, yeah, not good. <laughs> Great. So moving on to Spark, the uh, yeah. the fourth thing in, in the, the bliss pillars. You had a very tough early life and really I think you said it was, it was 30, was it, when you finally... I think I was about 35. Wow. So, I mean, that's a long time, a long time. to live like that. So... What helped you find your spark once after you'd been through that adversity? Definitely hanging around the right people. So my second husband is a little gem and learning to love and learning to trust again um, was very scary and very vulnerable. But that helped me find my spark because I started believing in myself and I started letting myself be loved again. Um, Again, love was always a very tainted word in the church because if you read the Bible, it sounds like one way, but then I very much didn't experience unconditional love in the church. Whereas my husband, he does love unconditionally and he makes chocolate brownies, which is obviously very healing. Um, but my, helping me find my spark was learning to unpick all of that old, learning to love again, learning to trust myself learning that there was a different way, learning that that double life I'd led and I doubted the bit of me that wanted escape once I'd left and knew that bit was right and I could trust that and trust that I knew I actually did know what I was doing and I could trust myself and that's very much given me my spark because I've gone, oh, I made a really good decision. That, that must mean I'm good at making decisions. Okay. And you start to trust yourself a bit more. So if I'd never done that, I'd never have started my own business, for example. There's lots of, as I say, brave steps that I never would have took if I hadn't done my big brave step. It's that, um, it's just learning to trust your intuition again. Yes. I think yeah. particularly when you've been in that sort of coercive situation yeah. where almost being gaslit, yeah, <laughs> probably on a totally, daily basis, totally. then you, you question every decision you make, yes. I would imagine. Yeah, and it's t it's still taking me time. I still now doubt myself a lot. Nothing like as much as I used to. And I have moments and I just go, nope, don't even listen. Go, Don't go there. Inner critic, get back in the cupboards, kind of. But I can do that now. But that's just experience. That's learning to trust yourself. So it's definitely giving me a spark. Yeah. 
I was, I was going to ask you if there's one moment that sparked a fire in you, but I, it sounds like it perhaps was more of an incremental thing, or, yeah. or is there anything you can pinpoint? I think setting up your business, that was probably a massive leap of faith. It was a huge one. It was a huge one. It was very scary, um, but I knew it was the right decision to make. And I thought, if it doesn't work, I had redundancy money from my previous job. So although it was brave, it wasn't as brave as it could have been. So I knew I could I could actually pay the bills. Um, so yeah, it was definitely one big spark. And that, you have to be confident. You have to go into a room with someone you don't know and convince them why they should pay you money to do things. <gasps> and you have to believe in yourself in order to do that. So that was a huge thing, definitely. Yeah. So thinking about, obviously, your religious background. Mm -hmm. And, and your intuition and guidance. Would you say that you still have a spiritual belief of some kind in something? It hasn't totally tainted your view of that. Yeah, I don't know what I'd call myself now. Mm. I don't, I'm, don't listen more. I wouldn't call myself a Christian now, but I certainly believe in the spiritual somethingness. The universe. Yeah, all. and I couldn't, I, quite, I can't quite put it into words yet. But there's things that have happened that are too much of a coincidence and things that I've done and experienced that are too much of a coincidence that, yeah, but I couldn't, I couldn't label it and I feel okay with not being able to label it. I'm just like, I'm aware and I'm open yeah. and yeah, whatevs. You listen when you need to. Yeah. And I think what I find is the more you're open, the more these kind of things happen. Yes. So yeah. Even how we met, I should yes. say, I didn't actually go into that, but me and Maddie met via LinkedIn, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is not the traditional platform for meeting friends of such a deep nature exactly. as we've become. <laughs> but um, yeah, just one of those random things. We were both operating in the same circles, weren't we, in construction, uh, just connected. And then I think we had our first coffee. We did. In Liverpool. And yeah, I can't actually then remember a point where we didn't have a deep connection it was almost instantaneous that connection. it was it was it's like we'd met each other before and we were just see we'd seen each other the week before and we we're carrying on conversation it was but i have that it's i remember reading um, the scummy mummies one of them wrote it talking about friendship at first sight and it was like that and i know love at first sight I, I've personally never experienced it other than with cats. Definitely <laughs> with my cat. All of oh, my cats have been like, into oh, the cat we've thing, into cats. No. But it was, she talked about a friendship at first sight and I was like, that's how I, I felt with you and with other friends as well. But you knew straight away, oh, there's something about you that resonates, attracts, whatever word you want to use it to use to describe it but you just go I want to be your friend please yeah. I and, love that yeah. and when you were little it was much easier because you just went will you be my friend yeah. and as an adult we overcomplicate it but no it was friends at first sight and I love that I yes guess. and I think that is that's what I would say about being open you've yes. almost got this gravitational pull that draws you towards people that are who are going to support you mm. and, and make you feel better about yourself and Definitely. as you say I think to me, friendship is so important and mm. it is one of those, it's almost underrated in some ways. Mm. And I think when you're young, you have lots of friends and you perhaps count your the value of your friendship by the number of friends you've got, yes. not necessarily the depth of the connections you have yeah. with people. And I think as you get older, as you say, 
you've got a broad spectrum of friends and and that's fantastic because Especially as a writer, you don't mm. want to live in an echo chamber oh, of, of all people that are doing the same thing yes. you are. Yeah. So it's fantastic to have, you know, like you say, from 11 to, to 80, and, and that gives you a lot of inspiration. Definitely. From Definitely. those people, yeah. And you can also act like a kid with the 11 year old who tells you to grow up, and act like a kid with the older person who, who brings, makes sure of chocolate brownies and muffins, and she's lovely. So you have like both looker aftering and being a looker after her. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really nice broad spectrum. And that definitely helps give you your spark, doesn't it? It does, you? definitely. Especially if you're down, having a down day. Definitely. So finally then, moving on to success. Yeah. Now, success means different things to different people. And in society, we've got sort of fixed ideas of success. It might mean, you know, getting your Lamborghini mm-hmm. or get in your 12 bedroom house but what does success look like to you personally this was a very interesting question because it's changed dramatically as through the years so now it's very much being happy in my own skin being able to live in the moment not overthinking everything trusting myself very much about me rather than what i do whereas when i was younger when I was in church, it was about um, being a leader, being someone who other people looked up to and followed. I used to play in the music team and lead people in worship. That was a huge thing, wanting to be a leader, wanting to be holy, all of these things. That was success if you had a position of leadership. It was also having a degree and having a good job. So Mary knows, and again, it's in the book. I didn't end up doing a degree. I had got a long-term illness, couldn't actually complete um, my education properly, didn't end up doing a degree. And my mum hasn't got over it. Mary Mary knows all of this and has some <laughs> things with her mum. I'm 48, I've got my own business, I'm an Amazon bestseller, I've got all this amazing stuff. My mum still says, I can't believe you haven't got a degree. And I've never needed one, never, never needed one. And that used to be success. And for years I struggled with that because I didn't have one. Tried to do it on the Open University, was too ill. And that meant I wasn't a success. Um, and then having my own business became a huge thing. It was like, oh, I have to have my own business and then I'm my own boss. Now I'm just like, do you know what? I like myself and I'm at peace with myself and I'm learning to live in the moment. And that's success to me. Mm-hmm. I think very similar I think to me success is freedom yes so if you can live the life of your dreams whatever that is so you know for example if you could write all day Mm -hmm. produce books have that freedom then that's success more than any material thing Mm. that anyone could give you definitely I know you've got a a long-term dream to retire perhaps to sunnier climes to the Dordogne in France so, because we have to, you know, have goals to get us to our end destination. I've been learning French since last June. Wow. I can't think of any now. Can My mind's gone blank. I'm like, don't ask me to say any French. Can you order a beer? That's the main thing. C'est un billet, s'il vous plaît. Perfect. So there you go. Magnifique. <laughs> Great. So, now, I know a lot, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I mm-hmm. you know you do. And they always tend to ask you what you'd say to your younger self. 
but I'm, I don't like to follow the crowd. So I'm Obviously. gonna I'm gonna flip that and I'm gonna ask you what your younger self would say, do you think, if they could see you now? And again, this was one I've had to think about a lot. My younger self, bear in mind I was in the church and totally indoctrinated, would be horrified. Horrified by what I've become because I'm too free and I'm too happy and I enjoy life too much and I don't go to church and all of these things that are now my happiness, I'd be horrified by. But because it was younger me with my double life, I'd be going, hang on a minute, that's really cool. I really like how free she is and I really like that she's happy and I really like that she's not being controlled. I need to know why, hang on a minute. How she got there? How can I get there? How was... So my first impression would be horror and then my second impression would be like, I want to be you. And so a very, like the double life, a very double edged sword for that. But definitely I'd be horrified at first, which yes. is quite scary. I was going to say that, that really <laughs> picks up on your double life, doesn't yes. it? That, that split opinion on what you think you'd feel like. Definitely. I think I'd also be shocked just at, because I now dye my hair, it's short. We weren't allowed to do stuff like that. I've got a tattoo. Dun, dun, dun. All of the, there's lots of physical things that I think I'd be quite shocked by as well because they're quite obviously not how we were brought up. Wow, that's been really interesting. So, as I said, you're a, a published author, mm -hmm. an Amazon bestseller, as what? you just said. So, <laughs> you just want to tell us a bit about that book because it's, it's a really in interesting concept that the book's based on. It is. It's a book called Scene Two and there's 15 of us, uh, different women telling their stories mainly things of where they've come they've overcome adversity or they've had something that could have sent them on a totally different life path and they've made a decision and it's changed it so all very inspirational and in that I write a lot about when I was ill and the fact that I thought not having a degree was the end of the world and it isn't because I've never needed it I do lots of training courses by the way I love learning new stuff so, but I learn things that I need for work, so vocational things rather than a degree that I may never have used. So yeah, the book's about that and it's it's been a lovely experience working with the other women and a lady called Kat Massey who brought us all together um, because we've, again, come from very different backgrounds but we all wrote the chapters together and we all supported each other. I've got goosebumps. We all supported each other in a Facebook Messenger group and we all had wobbles. I had wobbles, even though I'd been writing my life story, I had massive wobbles writing this and massive wobbles at the thought of being published. And we all supported each other and they're a totally different tribe and they're from all over the country. And there's a lady in Ireland, one in Scotland, and we're like sisters now. There's like a, it's really brought us close together with the shared experience. It's quite fascinating. Yeah, well having read, I think I've read most of the stories in there now and some of them are jaw-dropping yes some of the yeah. things and uh, obviously haven't been to your book launch so yeah I mean what what was it like that moment when you were handed that physical copy of that book in your hands I burst out crying I've got a, we've got a photograph of it and everyone else's they took a photo Kat presented us with it we had like a party to celebrate and Kat presented each one with the book and mine I've got big red <laughs> eyes and panda makeup and that's fine because it was real, it, it, until you actually physically hold it, it didn't feel real, and it was amazing. But apparently, because I was, I remember I 
put a thing on social media, what was your most amazing moment as a writer? Apparently every time you get a new book you feel the same. So I'm like, oh that's okay then, because it was amazing. It was so exhilarating. It was like jumping out, doing a skydive. It was this huge, but even walking up, waiting to be handed it, it was massive. It was it was very emotional. It was lovely. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful experience because it's something that's been in the making for so long. Yes. When, when would you say your first dream was of that moment of holding a book that you'd written in your hand? So I, not many people know this, when I was little I wanted to be a writer. That's what I wanted to do. And this is before, I'm 48, so this is before writing was as popular as it is now. There's loads of authors now. I always wanted to be a writer, that was what I wanted to do. And so I put it on the shelf, because you don't, no pun intended, I put it on the shelf and never thought I'd ever get to do it. And had loads of ideas, I'd write stories, I've been writing poetry, I write songs. So I have been a writer since I could write, but I didn't feel actually like one until I had an actual book, even though I was a writer because I wrote. It's, you know, you write, you're a writer. But until I had it, it didn't feel real. So it has, it has literally been a lifetime's ambition yeah. that I've wanted to do. It is funny that, um, that labelling, uh, it's something that I, I was saying to my comedy guru, Jane, that um, there's this concept, I think it's in The Artist's Way with uh, Julia Cameron, where she talks about believing mirrors. And that's someone who mirrors you back to yourself mm. in the most powerful and strong and positive light that you can exist in. So the moment says to you, someone says to you, you're a writer. Mm. And you're like, oh yeah, I am. Or you're a comedian. That Everything changes in that yes. moment. It's like a permission slip. Definitely. You didn't need the permission slip, but you've got it now. Yes. And then I think similar, you've, you know, you changed your, your, your Instagram to Matt the Templeman writer. And yeah. then that in itself acts as a magnet. Definitely. To everything then suddenly starts to grow and grow, doesn't it, from that? Yeah. yeah. And it's very scary. And thankfully, Mary gets me these amazing, so hilarious t-shirts <laughs> with writer on. And I've got mugs that have published author and I'm a writer. And my imposter day, uh, that, my imposter syndrome days, I wear them. Yeah. And I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I get my book and I'm like, hello. hello. <laughs> Excuse me, you've done this. Get over I've yourself. actually got a book to prove it. Yeah, and it's like, really, you still have it? But as I say, the lady who is literally, she's written so many books. She's on the telly or her programmes are on the telly. And she still has it. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Well, I once heard someone say that in some ways imposter syndrome is good because you actually must feel that you're doing well because you feel like you're an imposter in how successful you're yes. being. Ooh. So if you flip it around that way, you're like, if you didn't feel like you were succeeding, you wouldn't feel like an imposter. Yes, that makes sense. So I it's, like it's quite a, a different way of looking at it. So. Definitely. And a positive way. A positive way. Reframing. It's all Definitely. about reframing. So, to sum up then, do you want to just, are we allowed to reveal the title of your book or is that secret till you it launch it? It might change. It might change. Yeah. Ah. Because I'm a menace for changing <laughs> things, as you know. So, yeah. Okay. But it, it's certainly going to be, it's probably going to be a one word because most memoirs are one word. Right. So, no. Top I'll, tips. I'll be good. Okay. Top tips. So, have you got, a, I'm not pressuring you, mm -hmm. have you got a timetable for, for publishing it? Definitely, I'm starting, 
I've had all my beta reads back. I've had a couple of months off as a break. And this next month I'm going to be sending it. I'm going to finish it off, send it to the publishers. And then I think it takes like three, four months. So right. not long. So Which is all very scary. This so you, year You're sometime. not self-publishing, it's going to... It is indie publishers. Indie publishers, right. So it'll be available on Amazon. Yeah. So um, and and Kindle, which I'm, although I love the hard copy and that's amazing. The thought of being on Kindle is like rock hour because scene two is on Kindle. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm where's like, that available? It's on Kindle. So that's on Amazon. Yeah. Um, you can download it on the Kindle. You can download you? it on yep. your Kindle. So yeah, it, which is that's very exciting because I read. You know, I love reading. I read all the time, but I read loads on Kindle. So to actually see my book on Kindle blew me away the physical copy there was this, it was a different feeling mm. that's that was more tangible but the kindle copy was just yeah. I'm kindle, I'm yeah. kindle. a giddy moment yes <laughs> yeah brilliant well thank you very much for being my very first podcast guest it's been really interesting to listen to it and i'm sure everyone listening will uh, be quite amazed to hear your story and hopefully they'll go out and uh, read your book as soon as it's available well worth it just for the uh, some of the jaw-dropping moments that are in there. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it.